Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. There are lots and lots of things going on in the world today. The digital transformation, the digital revolution, the new things happen in people's lives. The world's starting to open up a little bit, which is all great to see. And the challenges that uh, we enjoy talking about so much here are ones that are touching in our personal lives, but also the opportunities that are being opened up here. And certainly in the business world, we're seeing a great deal of that as well. And such a significant part for those things moving forward is this idea of leadership. So uh, one of our special monthly guests, Christian Anschutz, talks about leadership. He has said before, and uh, I, I believe him completely. He's not trying to speak, uh, you know, from the point of view of a total expert, but just he's a student of leadership, has understood it, been involved in it, and feels it's uh, something that's missing in the world today. And so we'll have a good chat about that. Christian, welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. It's fantastic to have you. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be here and always a, a great pleasure to have a conversation with you. Christian, before we jump into the leadership thing, I got to say, you know, if if this is your office, that is a sweet office. <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you're very kind. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't do it here. Just, you know, just uh, given the, the context, but I do have to admit that I might have one of the coolest offices in <laughs> North America. This, this is, this is just the background and it doesn't look like much maybe, but it's a, it's a mezzanine to a barn and in this barn and in my office from innovation materials to uh, all sorts of interesting um, tools and, and uh, equipment, shall we say, is pretty much almost in terms of material wise, everything I love material wise, not, not the things that I love the most, but certainly the material stuff is, is, either near me or around me. And I, I have an office that's in the center of a large barn, which is kind of cool. By the way, adding, because I'm a big sustainability freak, yeah. uh, we're building a commercial greenhouse off of this that's gonna have just incredible output uh, capabilities and uh, very, very high tech, kind of a, I'm doing my own green acres kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, don't be ebb. <laughs> Well, I always tell my uh, lovely uh, wife, Michelle, I, I always say she's the Ava Gabor. <laughs> and the reality is she's really, really good at, at, at the planting and the growing of, uh, of stuff. And if I had a way to, uh, and, and I'm trying to get there, it, one of my uh, objectives, actually personal objectives is to uh, control more of the supply chain, if you will, of mm -hmm. what I put into my body and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, technology uh, and uh, various commercial mechanisms have made it very possible for each and every one of us to do that. Some of us more than others. I feel very blessed that I actually get to even explore these things. But the, uh, you know, I think we're going to see agriculture go the way of energy, the way manufacturing is very likely to going to go as well. And we are going to see more and more sort of fragmentation where people are able to take more and more control of uh, what they grow and what they consume. Nice, nice. Well, I, it sounds like you're having fun uh, both sort of exploring in that direction. And I think, uh, you know, the, it's somewhat tied to today's topic, you know, being a little bit of a, a leader and inspiring others to see, you know, here's some of what's possible, Christian, that that is great. And if uh, I'll, I'll keep my eyes open for a coolest office uh, competition, we'll, we'll, we've got to get you in there. Next, you're going to say you got a climbing rope in there. I might just have a climbing rope. You know, I, I, I'm always a Marine. I always be a Marine. I have to have a 20 foot climbing rope just so I can say that I can, you know, I, 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 I'm in my fifties. All right. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't admit that, but uh, so I'm still young. I feel like I'm 25, although that's probably more reflection of my maturity than it is my uh, chronological age. But I do believe that I, I, I still try to uh, meet this, 
the standard in terms of physical performance of what I uh, had to do when I was in the Marine Corps. So I have to be able to climb a 20 foot rope within a certain period of time. And uh, I'm happy to do that and uh, <laughs> at least try to live up to that challenge. Outstanding. Outstanding. So Christian, uh, the, the thread of leadership that comes through, I know that also there's some uh, sort of anti-leadership list that you've made, pet peeves, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But it sounds like, you know, among your other activities, if you're, you've been talking to some fascinating folks out there, and I know you said that there's somebody with a really big startup who's shared some ideas with you that you find quite inspiring. Yeah, you know, we, in our, in our, you know, for the, for the audience here, you can imagine that, uh, you know, Bob and I meet for a couple minutes prior to uh, broadcasting here and, and just kind of say, oh, what's, what's kind of fascinating that we can maybe touch on. And, and I just mentioned to you, Bob, that we, um, uh, you know, I'm in the midst of uh, writing uh, a book. Okay. Everybody does it. That's not the exciting part. What's exciting. And what's interesting is that, is that I was talking to the CEO who's just just an incredible CEO on so many different dimensions. I'm not going to name uh, the firm nor the individual, uh, but he's got a uh, kind of a small startup. It's, you know, 4,500 people wow. <laughs> He's doing very, very well. This, this uh, he's been prominently featured in a, in like the who's who or the what's what of magazines and whatnot is a great innovative leader. And we were just talking about like, what is he doing to ensure that he's getting you know, he's, he's, he's getting the most out of his work personally and how that translates into him getting the most out of, you know, his entire 4,500 person team. And what came, what it came down to is one of the first questions I asked was, okay, so tell me about, uh, you know, this thing As I asked him a very specific question and, and his response was about, I do what I do because I'm doing it for my children, because our company is shaping the future of the world. Okay. And it is going to simply make the world a, a better place. And he was talking about this, 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 this mission. And he was talking about this, this purpose. And then that purpose again was to shape the world for his offspring to hopefully inherit a better place than we have right now. Not that now's not bad. I'm not making a judgment, but just simply that better is the goal. Right. And, um, and in that conversation, I said, well, okay, so that's great. You have this purpose. I mean, tell me about how does that translate throughout the whole of your organization? And this uh, guy said, well, you know, he goes, the leadership, he goes, everybody, the senior leadership is all on board. He goes, it's, the challenge is getting the whole organization to feel that same way, to feel that same pride, to feel that same purpose. And I'm like, very good. I, 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 I understand because you're probably not paying your executive leaders the same as your your client paying your um, as he referred to them as, as as line workers, key contributors, important leaders, great team members, but a, a difference in, in you know sort of the stratification of, of salary and whatnot. And he made it just a, such a, a great point when I said, "Well, isn't purpose in that case sometimes?" This was me asking the question, not him saying that. I said, "Isn't purpose sometimes one of those things where it's almost like when you get paid enough, you have the privilege to have purpose." And, and I wrote down his response. I'm, I'm going to look at this thing right now. Uh, he gave me a couple of great quotes, and I'll, I'll share one of them. Uh, but in terms of how he's thinking about and what they're doing in order to make sure the whole organization is, is motivated, and what a great uh, leadership technique uh, he's applying. He's getting their buy-in in the most tangible, important fashion is that he's bringing this benefit of the short-term and the long-term together. And he says, equity is the answer to give all the privilege 
of purpose. And for that equity, which seems like a, an, a, an outpouring of resources to, to your workforce, which in fact it is, he will get back something. And he says that he's getting back uh, something that is uh, worth it a hundred times over. It's going to propel the workforce forward. In fact, is going to make the company last decades, you know, who knows, maybe even centuries into the future. And I just love this, this leadership technique from this great leader who's, who's not satisfied with him having a purpose. He wants and is working towards, he's not there yet. He's, he's not there. He would never say that he's there, but that he's inspired to make sure that everybody that's part of that organization shares in that purpose to the greatest extent possible. And I just, I mean, this is why I call myself a student, Bob, yeah. is because like a quote like that, I never thought of it that cleanly, that concisely. And uh, kudos to this uh, gentleman that I uh, hope to uh, be able to share with you who it is and the, and the firm he represents uh, sometime in a, in a future uh, discussion. Okay. Okay. Christian, respecting, you know, the, 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 you're keeping this a little bit tight here. Is there anything that you could share that indicates a little bit, how did he get this deeply purpose-driven organization across all levels of the company? Well, so he, you know, I'll, I'll, it, it, purpose and, and culture often go hand in hand. So let me kind of just switch from the purpose yeah. because that's very specific to what they're trying to do. And I'm afraid yeah. if I get too explicit, we'll be able to ferret that out um, because they're really leading in a very, very important space. And, and I promise you, as soon as I can, I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell you all about this individual in this company because you all want to know about this company. It's a, it's a great company. And again, it's a great leader. Um, but the, the, the question about this whole culture and how that ties to purpose actually it, it, in, in some way ties to performance. So here's, here's a leadership uh, lesson. I don't know, it's a 301 level lesson. Um, I believe at least that preference predicts performance nearly 100% of the time. If we like a thing, we're more likely to do the thing. The thing we're more likely to do, we're more likely to be good at. And in this discussion, I had my first sort of my personal epiphany, which is why we have to be students. We have to constantly study. We have to constantly come up with these new thoughts. Is he's talking to me, I'm thinking, okay, purpose actually creates preference, which drives performance. And then uh, the backdrop of that then is what is the culture that kind of ties these things together? The purpose, the preference, and the performance. And, and one of the things he was talking about is very related to um, one of the things that I'm writing about, which is a, a culture of courage. And uh, he says one of their greatest strengths in this firm is that they, um, they are a no-nonsense uh, company in terms of how they view innovation, that innovation is a process. And the process is one of experimentation with a high uh, with an understanding that there's a high likelihood of failure. And in the failure comes learning. And so he's working very hard to uh, drive uh, this culture of candid, almost confrontational, he, my word, uh, we're candid, direct, direct is a better word, uh, direct feedback where, uh, you know, I can do something, Bob, you can go, hey, Christian, you, you know, we talked about this in the past. Hey, Christian, you really blew that. It was terrible. Don't do that again, right? Which I think, Bob, you've actually told me that before. <laughs> but you, and, and I'm like, oh, cool. That's my opportunity. That's my opportunity to learn. And he's 
making a process out of it, which is helping to create the culture that kind of is the wrapper around that purpose, preference, and performance. And, uh, and I, I can't say enough about this whole, this thoughtful approach of building the culture um, necessary to uh, compete and win in the spaces that they're targeting. I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's inspired leadership, candidly. Yeah, yeah. Christian, I want to then uh, offer another example here of a company that I, I got to speak to one of their executives recently, but I, I knew about the company. I didn't know much about the company, but the company's name is Vary, V-A-R-I, and they make this, they start off with the standing desks, and now they make various types of adaptable, easy to use, easy to move uh, office furniture. So the CIO there, his name is Jeff Denard. And uh, I don't know, we talked half an hour or so. Uh, anybody who did not know what he does in that company, if he never said, my title is chief information officer, I don't think he would have had a clue. By the time we got to the end of it, he talked about leadership. They don't call the, the people who give his company money in exchange for its products. They're not customers, they're fans. Um, and it, he didn't force this. He probably said it 10 or 12 times during our, during our conversation. It's just how they think about it. And it's deeply ingrained in that culture. And at one point, I asked him a little bit about the you know, changing role of any CXO position, but especially the CIO, since that's what he's in. And he said he's felt for a long time, he said, uh, and he had his hands like this. He said, I have three jobs. He said, my first job is to be a leader. He said, my second job is to be a business person. And my third job is to be the chief information officer. And he said, it's big gaps from each one of those steps to the other. He said, I don't take my role as CIO unseriously. He said at all. He said, you know, it's, an, it's a critical part to what we do. But he said, if on top of that, I'm not looking at the whole business and how we can ap apply some of my expertise there, and moreover than that, to all the people in the organization and to our, as he put it, fans, if I'm not trying to be a leader to get the put the best into our organization, then our fans are not going to get the best out of our organization. And it was just a pretty remarkable conversation. He said, uh, you know, about the people report to him. He said, they're the real experts. He said, so I hire people who are smarter than me, better than me, more capable than me. Uh, and, you know, I've higher potential than me. And then he said, I try to keep out of their way. And I, he said, I support them with compassion and love and enthusiasm and confidence and he said, that's just sort of permeates through the organization. I just thought, man, if he can get, you know, a couple more people at the different levels, then you get that, not just a cascading effect, because that implies stuff just rolls one way, but you get that force multiplier up and down the organization and sideways that it sounds like, uh, you know, that, that type of culture that you're describing. Sorry to go on like that, but it, it just what you had described. And then this very, very intriguing spot from Jeff Denard is his name at Vary. It, it was really something. I think you would, uh, you would love this guy. Oh, well, you know what, please introduce me to yeah. uh, Jeff. I'd like to make his acquaintance that, uh, you know, that sounds like the kind of person I'd like to, to talk to. Uh, I mean, certainly there is nothing that you said that sounds anything but other than fantastic. I mean, and then you, not just about Jeff, but about something you added. I mean, I mean let's be honest, the role of the leader is to force multiply yeah. the organization that they lead. That is our job. 
our job as a leader is to, you know, depending on where we are in, in, in the pecking order, because the scope changes. So it's an issue of scope, but the attributes are the same. The characteristics are the same. But, you know, the, most of your executive leaders, you, I think you said he was a CIO. Yes. So, I mean, his, his job is primarily to do, make what, three to five major decisions a year, and then to do everything that you just said, which is um, nurture, coach, enable, empower, learn from, you know, otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, break down the barriers, celebrate the victories, etc. I mean, and, and you said it uh, through him, perhaps, uh, or he said it through you rather, uh, perhaps better. But uh, I mean, that's, that's our job, right, is to force multiply, or be a force multiplier for the very people that, you know, work for us. Yeah. And Christian, I thought there was another thing in there that um, I, I just thought was really terrific how he brought this up, right? You know, and this has always puzzled me some in business, right? When, uh, you know, I was in the publishing industry for a, quite a while. And when we'd bring up the notion of doing what's called a redesign, you'd redesign a magazine, there'd be a lot of people like, oh, man, that's, whew, that's risky. That's, and I would say, why is it risky? You say, well, we got a brand out there and it's established. And if you change it, some people are going to like it, but maybe a lot of people won't. And I said, but it, all right, let's put the word redesign over here. And instead, let's say, we're going to improve it. We're going to improve our product. We're going to deliver more value to audiences. Uh, and I said, well, yeah, but that's different. That's not a redesign. I was like, ah, oh. well, uh, but so in that overall context, one of the things that Jeff said, so he's in this big warehouse type space, and it's, it's certainly a showcase for all of Barry's products because they've got partitions and walls, desks, chairs, other things like that. And he said, we make it a point to move our offices around pretty thoroughly throughout the, this, this uh, headquarters organization and their regional offices, he said, at least three times a year. And he said, it's a, it's a celebration of the stuff we make, and it's an opportunity for the organization to find new neighbors, new connections, and to get everybody being able to see things from a fresh perspective and not feel like, well, I'm part of the over here group and those people are the over there group. And I, I, I'm not sure how we're connected, but it was just such in a way, Christian, it was like, I guess so many wonderful ideas. It was simple, right? I don't mean that it's easy to do, but it was a simple idea that if you really embrace it up and down the organization, side to side, I just, and this company's growing explosively. And he specifically said this thing of shuffling the offices around. He said, I think that's a big part of it. Whereas some people might look at that and say, oh God, it's disruptive. Don't do that. You grow even faster if you just don't, you know, don't shake things up. Well, it's, uh, you know, this, this, this uh, gentleman, Jeff, I think you said is his name. He's, he's full of all sorts of great, uh, interesting insights and wisdoms and whatnot. Chris, and that's a great point. I, I want to come back to that in just a second. But first, a word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets, where automation is paramount yet effortless, and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A game. Um, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to uh, focus on there. Um, but, you know, you said it uh, again, you said it, you know, sometimes the simple things aren't easy, but the simple things can be so powerful. So I, I, again, not to repeat something just for the sake of repeating it, but, 
there is power in repetition. And let me say that again, there's power in repetition. You know, last time we talked about, uh, you know, there's no action without an after action. The simple yeah. notion, simple a notion uh, that, uh, you know, you, you do a thing and then you review the thing with candid feedback and every opportunity kind of to that interview I was talking about is an opportunity to learn, is an opportunity to improve. These things are actually very, very difficult because there's a lot that has to go into it. Like we have to have the courage again to have direct, uh, not confrontation, but uh, direct candid feedback and accept yeah. it and accept feedback as a gift, even if sometimes it hurts a little bit. But what's interesting too, and we could do an entire um, uh, you know, series of, of podcasts on, and, and which is, well, you said it was Jeff's a CIO, right? Yeah. There's nothing that makes a group of people love an old system, like introducing a new one. <laughs> so this idea of redesigning, it's, oh, that sounds new. I know ooh, I really like what I have and please don't mess with what I have actually becomes analogous to why going back in time, why so many big businesses struggle so mightily to find their next future because they get this crack addiction, if you will, to their current revenue stream and nothing kills a new venture like the core of the business. Yeah. And again, now we have to talk about inspired leadership to help organizations do another fundamental activity of leadership, which most leaders are terrible at, which is managing paradox or the and statement. Mm -hmm. You have to meet your obligations for today and you have to look to a new future that might look different, maybe even radically different, and you have to invest accordingly. Uh, great book out there, Winning Now, Winning Later, uh, from the former CEO of Honeywell, actually encapsulates that uh, notion pretty well. And, uh, and yet, so darn hard for leaders to go into new areas. It takes a lot of courage to fight the fact that Actually, that redesign is kind of scary. Improve sounds good because you know what that means to me? Redesign sounds like I don't know what I'm going to get. Improve means I'm going to get something incrementally better. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And incrementalism is the name of the game, folks. Even <laughs> though incrementally you're going to lead your business out of business. And the speed at which that incremental... Uh, you know, drop into the death spiral. It seems to be faster and faster, right? It used to be companies, they didn't even know it, right? You know, it'd take them a couple of decades, like, well, we're not growing the way we'd like, but we still find our core audiences, core customers, blah, 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 blah. Then all of a sudden they look around, they said, we don't have new products. We don't have new talent in the organization. We don't have new customers. Quick, what do we do? How do we shake things up? But by then, you know, the, the, the thing's gone. Christian, um, I want to say one more thing about that, that redesign stuff, right? Because to me, it was like, it was like, this can be such a positive if you go out to the market, right, to advertisers, to readers, to other influence shapers in the, the media field and say, we have something that's pretty good based on the data and, and the things that we're, we're hearing from a lot of folks, we can make it better. Here are some prototypes we've put together. Give us your input. Tell us what you think. Help us co-create this future together. But it was like, oh gosh, you know, we had to like open up a branch office somewhere that was sealed off from the rest of the world. Because if anybody found out, I just used to laugh. But got to take yourself at least appropriately seriously. But anything above that is 
is dangerous. And I just thought, well, you know, man, we're not splitting the atom here, folks. We are making our product better. And if we're afraid of doing that because of what some people might think, maybe we should go into a different line of work. Yeah, I, well, I, candidly, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, executive leadership in at least corporate America, uh, probably corporations everywhere, but I'll speak to corporate America that actually need to find a different line of work. Um, yeah. yeah, I find most executive leaders, uh, when you ask them a simple question, like, oh, you know, how customer focused are you? Oh, we're customer obsessed. I mean, it's, how could you ask that? I mean, clearly, I'm, we, we are all about the customer. Yeah, when was the last time you actually sat down and listened to one? Put yourself in their shoes, applied a little empathy to understand the problems and the challenges that they actually have versus leaping to trying to sell more of what you already sell. When was the last time you put yourself in that situation? Well, Christian, you have to understand, you know, I, we, we have teams that do that. Oh, it's always somebody else, though. It's always somebody that knows. When it comes to this leadership thing in the game, it's always they know somebody who knows somebody who talked to the customer, who told them that thing and that data point. As long as it's pointed in the right direction and quarter to their brain, it's a trend. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and then, uh, Chris, you know, they said, oh, no, Chris, but I promise you, I will, I will, I will talk to my executive assistants and next quarter, I promise I am going to clear at least a couple hours. And I'm going to talk to customers. That demonstrates to you that on the customer obsessed thing, on a one to 10, we're an 11. So I, 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 I'm a professor at the, uh, um, at the business school at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And I give my students a, a, a little bit of homework. And these are all, I mean, the average age, I think, is in the low 40s. Uh, these are all very accomplished, incredibly bright students. I mean, I just, I, I, I do it because I learn more than I'm able to teach, right? And I, and, uh, and I don't mean that as some sort of like BS hyperbole. I mean, I actually truly believe that. But I give them this bit of homework because they're all like, oh, you know, I make them repeat. The number one thing in business you focus on is the customer. Every single class, I make them repeat that. And they, they think I'm crazy at first. And then I give them a, a little bit of a, a assignment. I said, I want you to go back to work. And in a week, when we have our next session, I want you to tell me out of the first 10, next 10 meetings you have, how many of them are directly related to your customer and report back percentage-wise. Now, unless they're specifically in sales, yeah. what do you, just a, a guess, what do you think the, the now my, my, my average is across asking this class after class after class, hundreds of students, what do you think the, the average 30%. is? 30%. Yeah, that's a perfect, that's it, that's it, 30%. So I'm adjusting up, by the way, uh, and I think that the number is actually lower. But I mean, think about all this time. I mean, of course, we're so customer obsessed. Yet, let's be honest. Let's get the average management team member, operating executive CEO, and, and say, okay, let's look at your schedule. What percentage of your meetings are directly focused on a customer and specifically a customer need? Yeah. I think they're, they're not nearly as obsessed as they think that they are. I think they're not nearly as focused as they believe they are. And Chris, and you talked before about the OODA loop. And if what you, if the first O is, you know, what you observe, and if what you observe is mostly 70%, 80% internal, all the other steps in the loop are fine, but you're not going to really have much of a clue about what's going on in the external world. Your, your thoughts, your ideas, your priorities are being more and more shaped by you know, what goes on on the inside, your heart can be in the right place, but your, uh, 
you know, your mind and your focused and your energy and your ambition are going to be elsewhere. They just, or they're not, they're going to be split apart, which doesn't make for the most effective outcomes. No, it doesn't. And we really have to be very, very aware um, that, you know, groupthink is a real threat. And, uh, you know, it's fueled by a very fundamental, very obvious and ever-present bias, which is confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we're in business, you know, you were playing out the scenario. I, I, customers love what we give them. Okay, what's, what's that based on exactly? Well, you know, we got an NPS score. Oh, great. <laughs> what, do, what do your prospects look like for the future? And how fast are you growing? How fast could you be growing? You know, I, what, so many of these companies are looking over a shoulder right now going, oh, God, I know there's something out there that's going to come and, and get me. And I, I mean, I got to hire a chief digital officer, right? Because it's digital, right? Uh -huh. I mean, I, 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 there's something out there that's digital. So let's do that. So they hire somebody and then they, you know, they, they anoint someone with the title and they're like, oh, I got it. I got it covered. Yeah. And they haven't fundamentally adjusted their strategy. They haven't fixed their governance models to actually enable these explorations in these new spaces. And uh, what they're really doing is they're setting themselves up for uh, a problem because markets move, customer segments change. And as new technologies and new capabilities arrive uh, and, 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 and emerge, well, somebody's going to find a new way to satisfy your customers in a way that you're not doing it. The need is ever present. How you address the need, well, that's what's subject to change, especially to your point at the cyclic rate that we're talking about. I mean, these things are, the world's changing like this and companies yeah. better have, you know, a, a fundamental understanding of that ground truth and create the capabilities that allow them to adjust to these changing market wants and needs. And that means they also then have to be really sensing not just the technological and external business environment um, or landscape rather, but they also really, really need to focus on the most important thing in business, which is their customer. Yeah. Yeah. Kristen, uh, I know that uh, you mentioned here, you're, you're a professor at UNC now, fantastic school, but your undergraduate, you were at University of Michigan, right? Uh, yeah, that's where I went to school first. Uh, and I was born and raised in Ann Arbor. I didn't have a choice. Okay. I, was, I was raised there. I had to go to U of M. <laughs> well, there was a, uh, a professor in the business school there for many years who I think has shaped my thinking about business and all, uh, as much or more than anybody. C.K. Prahalad was his name. And, uh, you know, when you were talking about a company's ability to satisfy a need, he said, that's great. He said, you know, you, you, everybody wants to do that. But he said, I think... Uh, he said the age of customer satisfaction is going to yield to one of customer loyalty or customer delight or customer dazzle. And he said, what do you do when you're satisfied? He said, you know, you eat a big Thanksgiving dinner, you're satisfied, you, you fall asleep. He said, I don't want customers being satisfied and fall asleep. I want them engaged and after me with ideas. Hey, I, that's pretty cool. But you know, you can make a better, do this, do this, do this. So he, he brought this up probably 12 years ago. And uh, I, I think the model that he proposed sort of that, that pulls all this together aligns with a lot of what you've been saying here about leadership and that notion to get the hell outside yourself. So he, he said broadly, he said, I'm, I'm not trying to break this out real precisely, but he said, there's been, there's been three ages in the, the world of business. He said there was uh, make and sell was the first one. He said, then there was listen and respond. He said, that's great. He said, but today companies have to be able to anticipate and lead. He said, the only way you can have the right sort of anticipation is if your sensors 
and all your input streams are in the world outside coming in. And by anticipating, then you can lead because you're in lockstep with what's going on on the outside. So I just wonder what your fellow Wolverine buddy there, what you thought of that? Oh, I, I love it. I, you know, the key to this, let me, let me ask you just, to, I, this is so obvious. Uh, I'm going to ask the question anyway. I, they're leading questions. All right. I, Your honor, I am going to lead the witness here. Okay. <laughs> so Bob, let me ask you, if, if you are given an opportunity to solve a question, do you think you're going to be better at solving the question or the, solving an issue, a challenge, seizing an opportunity, if you do it by yourself or with say a hundred people that are in your company, which is better? You or the hundred people? hundred okay. people. Now let's just say the same question, but your company's now 10,000. You, you and your closest hundred or you that hundred plus the full 10,000 of the company? Full 10,000. All right, now here's the stretch and what most companies don't get. Okay, what is better? You and your infinite wisdom within your company, your core capabilities and that 10,000 people that make up those capabilities and the clients and the ecosystems and partners and suppliers that could be part of solving that question too. And now comes the answer. It's the answer is that these, there are ecosystems that all these companies need to immerse themselves into so that they can find better answers faster and more cost-effectively to benefit their customer segments. But hold on. Sounds obvious, right? These are leading questions, Christian. Why are you asking me these leading questions? <laughs> <laughs> Here's, let me... I, I'm, I'm so lucky I get to do this uh, kind of work with so many uh, different companies. Let me, let me give you the three things that the companies that do innovation theater, the first three steps that they make. Here's innovation theater 101. And let's see if we know any companies that do this. First thing, I'm going to build an innovation center because nothing says innovation like four walls. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, I'm going to create a corporate venture arm because mm -hmm. I got a little bit of money and I know how to spend it. And then number three, hire some bright girl, bright boy from Google or Amazon or something. And then there it is. That's that I got to take this, the, the, the quick road to innovation. And I'm going to do those three things. And they fundamentally miss out on the most important aspects. Not that those aren't important aspects too, but they're not the most important. That's why most companies stink at this. I mean, they're absolutely terrible at it. Where in there is, is the strategy? Where in there is the governance? Where in there is the focus on the culture necessary to create a truly innovative uh, capability? Because culture and, and company performance, they go hand in hand, especially in this space. Where is there the extension of your capability by including ecosystems and either immersing yourself in them if you don't have mass or creating them if you do? I mean, where are these steps? And, and all too often, these steps get ignored and, uh, and, and to the detriment of the companies themselves. This, these, the, all, you're, you're touching on all these great subjects. We could spend hours on each of <laughs> Well, Kristen, I want to ask you about, uh, uh, see if there's a pet peeve of the month here that you want to mention. But first, said I love, I just want to say, I love jokes. The problem is I can't, I can either remember the setup or the punchline, but I rarely remember the whole, the, the combo. So one of the punchlines that I remember the joke is about uh, secret agents from three different countries, and they're trying to see who's the best secret agent. And at the end, one of the secret agents 
is outside and he's got a donkey in a headlock and he's pounding the donkey on the head with a stick saying, say you're a rabbit. And uh, I always get that image, you know, sometimes talking about companies, right? <laughs> Start an innovation lab in a, in a building, you know, start a venture arm that you don't know anything about and you'll, you'll, you know, run it the same way you run the way your own finances and then, you know, hire a person and think that that'll change it. But the culture of the company doesn't change anything else. But if you just sort of say it insistently enough and, you know, get your stick and pound some something with it, then somehow there's a belief that it'll change. And I don't know, that's a, that, that is one of those, you know, I think of your line of the great truths of, uh, the great truths of life and we companies just have to get past that there's there's no way so tell me my friend what about a, a pet peeve of the month here well i i was going to go in a different direction but uh we started talking about that customer uh and you know the, the the homework assignment around the meetings and how many of them were directly related to customers here's here's a a, a thing that really frustrates me about business and it really starts with leadership is mistaking work with meetings. As leaders, again, our job is to make a few decisions and enable those that work for us to execute against our intent. If you don't know what I'm talking about, folks, go back to the previous episode where we talked a lot about uh, leadership through intent. To do the, make the three uh, to five decisions or how many ever decisions we make over a, a period, we have to spend quite a bit of time doing this thing. It's called, uh, oh, thinking. We need to constantly invest in ourselves, uh, develop our understanding, be open to learning, be open to failing and learning as a result of it. And uh, those things don't happen in meetings. They don't. Yeah. Folks, it, just a, if, if your job as a leader is to be a force multiplier, just do the little same homework, ass uh, homework assignment yourself and look at the next 10 meetings you're in. Are those meetings where you're leading? Are those meetings that you're leading to some great destination that's going to benefit, directly benefit your customer and your customer segment? Or are you marking time? And candidly, most meetings are marking time. That's my pet peeve for the week, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kristen, I always get, you know, I, I was smiling as you were describing that because I always think it's funny at the, uh, at the end of a Zoom call or something like that, somebody say, well, okay, it's, it's 25 after the hour, I'll give you back five minutes. Like, well, how about if you next time you take five and give me back the 25 so we don't have a half hour meeting that it didn't need to be half an hour, it was 25, could it have been 20, 15, 10, you know, so, but that's a good one. That's a good one, my friend, mistaking work with meetings. Yes, indeed. As always, I enjoy these conversations immensely. I walked away with a number of things uh, from this myself. And I do actually want to meet that CIO because he sounds like uh, an inspired leader himself. Yes, absolutely. I'll make that introduction pronto here. Um, Kristen, always a pleasure. Good to have you. Uh, and, you know, maybe next time, if it's possible, you know, maybe you'll you show a couple of your, your toys there in the office. <laughs> all right i'll have to uh I'll, I'll clean it up ever so slightly that would be uh my pleasure thank just you. a little all right folks and thanks to all of you for being with us here at cloud wars live and talking with our friend christian anschutz about leadership and purpose and performance 
preference, how all those fit together. Hope it's a great month of May for all of you. We'll see you again soon.